Good morning, church. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. And uh, in your Bible, is going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. And we're just going to look at a brief, 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 brief verse here. Um, but while you're turning there, Matthew, chapter 22, uh, I want to go back a, a few years in my life to when I was in eighth grade. Um, eighth grade, understand, I was a, a super shy kid. Okay, In sixth grade, I was voted the shyest kid in our school, which is a little hard to believe, but I was. Okay, uh, I grew up on a farm, uh, one of six kids. We did not have a lot of money. So in eighth grade, when I was going to go to church camp for the first time ever, it was big. It was like, I get to go to camp. Okay, First of all, I was a little nervous. Again, sort of on the shy side here. Um, but we finally had money in which I was going to be able to go to church. Uh, to a church camp. Now, understand this. I grew up in the church. Okay, my grandfather was a pastor for over 60 years. My dad was a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, always involved. Brothers were youth leaders. Actually, one of my older brothers was my youth leader. Um, my mom was like the Sunday school superintendent for the kids, and then she also taught Sunday school, and, and everybody was engaged in the church fully. That's the kind of atmosphere I grew up in. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was a missionary conference going on, we were there every night. Okay? I came to, uh, at the age of age seven, ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. That's when I prayed that prayer, uh, thanks to my brother uh, scaring me. And then my mom prayed with me, and, and I just grew up in faith that, through that. I was baptized a few years after that, but it wasn't until eighth grade when I finally went to a church camp. And it was, it was at that church camp, and I'll never forget the moment, where the chapel speaker was up front, Doing his usual thing that he did at chapel. But that night at chapel, something hit me, and I believe it was God. As he stood up there and he said, you need to love God. And, and he kept on going, but those two words floored me and put a halt to my life right in that moment. Love God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I grew up in the church, you know, we sang about it all the time, and, and people around me, you know, and but what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? Those words seem so foreign to me. Love God. How do you love God? How do you love someone you cannot see, touch, feel? How do you do that? In your Bibles in Matthew chapter 22, we look at starting in verse 34, and it's a passage in which Jesus were talking to these religious leaders. These religious leaders have gathered around. Let me tell you something about these religious leaders. They had over 613 commands. That's a lot of rules, okay? A lot of laws. They're very studious, and they wanted to see what Jesus knew. So we pick up in the conversation, verse 34. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, referring to Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him. One of them, an expert, expert in religious law, knew all 613, probably had him in order. He tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? The most important commandment that Moses put out there, what is it? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And that's the first and the greatest commandment. It is the greatest commandment. Church, it is what? It is the greatest commandment. One more time, it is the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. To love God was the greatest commandment. He goes on to say a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law. 
and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. The first one being what? Love God. I'm trying to trap Jesus. They were silenced. Because what Jesus just did, he took the most important, the greatest command. He had taken, he'd taken the first of the laws that Moses gave in the, ta- in the Ten Commandments. He took the first group of them and put them all together. And he summed them up with two words. Love God. And then he took the other part of the Ten Commandments and put those together and said, love others. And as you recognize, it's like, hey, isn't that our mission, vision of this church? Yes, love God, love others, be the church. We've, we've summed it up too. We put it in a really short phrase, right? But there again is that phrase, that command to love God. What that camp speaker first said from the front of the stage to what we're reading here, what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus reached all the way back to Moses. And what Moses wrote, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, says this. Listen, O Israel, listen for the Lord your God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Moses wrote that. Jesus referenced that and said the same thing. My camp speaker was saying it again too. And again, this is all coming together from the beginning to the end. I keep hearing this phrase, love God. Love God. And that phrase is what stopped me in my tracks as an eighth grader. To sit there and think I've been raised in this religious environment. I've been raised in the church. And and I thought, you know, I'm a Christian and all this kind of stuff. But then it hit me. It's like, how can I call myself a Christian when I can't even answer that question? How do I love God? I, I don't know. I was so unsure of myself. An incredible amount of doubt entered my life. I don't know if I love God. How do I love God? Can you answer that? question, church? I mean, if somebody were to ask you, how do you love God? What do you say to them? I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where somebody's, I mean, okay, for all the adults in here, you're probably going to have to go back a few years, okay? Just revert back to those days, okay? Some of you teens, uh, maybe some of you were at a concert last night, okay? But I don't know, I don't think any of you did this to David Crowder, okay? But, um, the person's up on stage, and they're singing really loud, and then you're out there, and you're all excited, and you can't help it anymore. And you're like, I love you. And you shout at the person on the stage, and the person on the stage is what? They're like, I love you too. And they sort of lean in. I love you too. And you're like, oh. And you're like texting somebody. David Crowder loves me. Okay. Um, maybe that doesn't really happen, but it happened at a concert I was at a few years back. Uh, it was a Lecrae concert, and these junior high girls were behind me. They screamed out, we love you, Lecrae. And the crazy scream back, I love you. And I'm thinking, you're all liars, okay, because you don't know each other. And these junior high girls are really loud and, and somewhat obnoxious, somewhat, okay. And I don't know if you really do love them. And, and you know, in the moment, it seems sort of, sort of funny and humorous. But I'm sitting there going, and I thought about it more. It's like, but wait, don't we do that? I mean, we shout, I love you, and I love you too. And it's like, how? How do you love me? You don't even know me. I don't know you. So how can I say I love you, right? And I was thinking about that like that is the way with God. How can we say we know him if we don't, or how can we say we love him if we don't know him? Now, there are those, and I'm going to sort of change the illustration here. Um, 
to coffee, okay? Because I, I, I really, really enjoy my coffee, okay? It's, it's, a, it's pretty close to saying love. Okay, I love coffee, okay? I'll admit it, okay? I love my wife more. Coffee is, is, is a distant, distant second, okay? All right? Um, did I score points on that one? Oh, shit. No? Okay. So, okay, here's the I, I love coffee, okay? And I really do enjoy it, okay? But here's the thing. For me to say I love coffee, okay, I have to experience it, okay? I have to come over here. It's good flavor. It's, it's good flavor to it. I like it. I love it. It's really, it's really good, okay? And I've got to taste it. But see, there's people out there that say, oh, I love going into coffee shops, and, and I love the smell, and I love the atmosphere, and, and, uh, but I don't drink coffee. I don't like it. And I'm looking at them, I'm going, you're not a coffee lover. You can leave this shop right now. All right? All right? Now, unless you're going to buy something, then buy a candle and leave. Okay, but anyway... But here's the thing. I don't think you can truly say you like the coffee until you've tasted it. You're not a coffee lover until you've fully experienced it. And there are those, I believe, are the same way with the church. When we say we love God, but we walk into the church, we love the atmosphere. We love the, you know, maybe the singing or the music, or we like to hear certain things, but yet we've not fully engaged in the Spirit of God. And so we don't really love God. We just love everything else about the God stuff. Until you fully experience God, how can you know him? I'm telling you, there are posers out there who, who claim to be experiencing God, but they aren't. Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a coffee snob, okay? I will drink, I'll drink, the, coffee, I'll drink the coffee shop coffee. I, I will drink the gas station coffee, okay? Um, but here's the thing. I will watch a Hallmark movie, and I will point out the posers right away, okay? People who claim that they drink coffee, they don't. They're, they're, they are not drinking coffee in those movies. Okay, I'll tell you why. You just watch. You can see this on a lot of movies. They go, they go up to the counter and they put the coffee on the counter for them. They're like, thank you. All right. And then they walk off, like, they're just walking, like, oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah. I'm thinking, now, wait a second. Okay, first of all, I'm a coffee expert. When you pick up the coffee, you're picking it up. You're not like, hey, thank you. Okay. Um, you're, you're walking careful with it. And then you're like, I always burn. It's always the first burn, right? I, sometimes i got to wait, take the lid off and sip it before I can put the lid back on it and then start to drink it, right? So what I'm saying is there's no coffee in those cups. It's just maybe water or something, right? I can, I can point that out. Now, I bring all that illustration to say this. Sometimes I can say the same thing about people when they're coming to worship God. I can point out the posers, okay? I know when people are faking it, Okay? But here's the thing. I'd rather have a room full of people that are desiring it. They, maybe they're not fully loving God. Maybe they're not there yet. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Okay? But I can tell when somebody says, oh, I love God, but then they go out and they live like the world, and that saddens my heart. Just like it saddens my heart when I see somebody shaking it around. It's like, no, let me put some real coffee in there so you can really enjoy it, because right now it's empty. And the same, I would say, let God fill you up so you can truly experience the love of God. I know, though, there are also people out there who not only miss the experience of loving God, they reject loving God. Some experience... Pain and disappointment in their lives, right? 
We all do. We all have pain and disappointment in our life. But for some of us and for some people, that because of that pain, they now say, because that's pain in my life, I'm, I don't believe in God. I'm rejecting God. Some choose to say God's not real. It's like me looking at that coffee cup, seeing the coffee that's in it, and saying, that's not real. That's not really there. It's, it's sitting right here. You hear my cup hitting that? Okay. I'm not going to take another drink. Okay. I'm not going to sip it out. Okay. But here's the thing. It's right there. I can see it. Just as even though you've had pain in your life or disappointment, you say, God's not real. He's real. Look around in creation. Look what God is doing in our lives. Listen to the testimonies of people who have experienced God in their life. God is real. And to say there is no God is foolish. Psalm 14.1 says this, Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil and not one of them does good. How foolish for us to say, there is no God. There is a God. It just happens that maybe you don't want to believe it. You don't like the way life has dealt you or something happens. So the easiest way to rebel or reject is just to claim there's no God. So you don't have to deal with what's going on in your life. But there is a God. He is real. And like we talked about last week, he is good. And his attributes and his characteristics are incredible. And we'll talk more about those. But like an eighth grader at camp, here's the thing. I wanted to know how to love God. And what does that mean? Just like maybe I've acquired a love for coffee, what does it mean to love God? We're a church that has a vision and a mission statement that basically says that we love God, we love others, and we want to be the church. Again, that's been very condensed to make it very simple, right? But here's the thing. How can we fulfill our vision and mission to be the church and love others if we are not loving God? That's where it starts. To love God so that we can love others and we can be the church. Until we know him, until we experience him, until we taste and see that the Lord is good, we won't love him. So church, this morning, I I just wanted to take time to answer that question that, that hit me back in eighth grade. How do I love God? I want you to be able to answer it. I'll give you some thoughts on how I answered it. But you're going to have to formulate your own answer for this one. And how do you love God? How can we experience him? How can we taste and see that he is good? Here's, here's the first thing we got to do. And we already sang a song about it. Okay? And that song was very simple. It's called Surrender. I Surrender All. Remember that song? For some of you, you remember singing that song a long time in the church. You pulled out the hymnal and turned to hymn number 422. And you sang I Surrender All, right? It's a good hymn. But here's the thing. We can't draw near to God until we first admit that we are in need of a Savior. We have to admit that our lives are a wreck. We have to admit that we are sometimes wrapped up in sin. We have to admit that that sin separates us from a holy God. We have to admit that we cannot get close to God because of our sinfulness We have to admit that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this earth and died and resurrected from the dead to give us new life. 
we have to admit that that is true and confess that that is true. So we confess our sins to a holy God who forgives us and allows us now to have a reconciled relationship with him. We've got to surrender that. If we think we can make this world and make this life on our own, we're sadly mistaken. I'm going to turn to a couple passages to read, and and I'm not going to put them on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you. And they're from, uh, one's from Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin. It sounds like us, right? Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts to those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, who is so rich in his mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved. Amen? For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all that he has done for those who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when we believed. When we surrender... And say, once I was in sin, but I've given my life to Jesus. I'm surrendering in him. I'm confessing my sins to him. He will take away those sins. His grace and mercy says, I love you so much, I will wipe them out and forget them. Not by our works, but by his love and mercy and grace. Titus chapter Three again. I'm sure nobody's been reading in Titus lately, right? It's just one of those books. It's like, oh, Titus, that's a, that's an actual book. Okay, Titus chapter three verses four says this. But when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life. Through his Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous, gave us confidence that we'll inherit eternal life. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we start a new relationship. That new relationship is no longer separated by sin. We now have a relationship with him. We now can know him. I'm telling you, when you are angry with somebody and somebody's angry with you, there's a chasm there. There's a barrier there. You cannot have a relationship with somebody that you're angry with, that you don't know, right? But when you surrender and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and they say, I'm sorry that you went through all that, but I'm going to forgive you, That relationship is reconciled. Now you can know each other better. Now you can love each other. That's our relationship with the God of this universe. Until we surrender, there's always going to be a chasm there. First step to knowing God and loving God is surrendering. Here's the second thing. How do we love God? First we surrender, then we immerse ourselves in God's word. 
There's a temptation just to to listen to what other people say about God or about other things and just go with their opinion, isn't there? I picked up the newspaper this week, wanted to read something about uh, something, a political situation that's been going on in our nation. And I started to read, and as as be it, my eyes got a little blurry. I'm like, "Uh, okay, focus, focus, okay? Now, you know what? I'm just going to go to Facebook and check out somebody else's opinion on that situation. I'll get the scoop that way, right? I'll be all good. But then I thought about this. Opinions are what? Opinions of what's been laid out before us, which was probably somebody else's opinion, and theirs was twisted by somebody else's opinion. So I had to go back to the original article and start reading back up and say, this is what it's all about. This is what happens with God's word many times. We hear somebody else's opinion because we we pick up this Bible right here, start to read it, gets a little blurry, not sure what I'm reading. Maybe I'll just ask somebody else what they think about that and what they thought about that. And I start catching the opinion of one person who heard an opinion of another person. And next thing you know, I have formulated my opinion about God based off another person's opinion. Dangerous. Go back to truth. Go back to truth. If you have a Bible right now... Um, in, in here, and some of you might have the, a, uh, an app on your phone. But if you have a Bible, can you just grab your Bible for me with both hands? Okay. <clears throat> I want you to hold this up here, okay? Just hold it out in front of you so you can see, okay? Because I want you to know what you're holding right now. And again, if you've got a Bible app, I'm, you know, just pretend, or you can hold that if you want, okay? Just face away so you're not looking at a notification that pops up, all right? <clears throat> but here you go. This is what you have in your app. You have in here books, Genesis and, and Acts, books about history. You have history holding in your hands right now. You also have books like Isaiah, Obadiah, Zephaniah, are books of prophecy, about prophecies that have been fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled is what you have in your hand. You have Psalms, which is music you hold in your hands. You have a love story in your Song of Solomon, which is pretty fiery, okay? Suggest you do not read that until you get a little bit older. But anyway, um, you have other books in here, like Deuteronomy that contains various laws. You've got the Gospels in here to talk about the history of Jesus Christ and who he is. This is what you're holding in your hand right now. 66 books put into one book, split into two, Old Testament, New Testament. This is what you're holding in your hands right now. You have uh, books in here that were written by uh, fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, kings wrote these stories. Uh, You have 40 authors who were filled with the Spirit of God who wrote this book over a period of 1,600 years. From 1500 B.C. to about 100 A.D., these stories were written. And as they were written and penned and put together, they all come together to have one theme which talks about God's redemptive love for mankind all piled in here with one theme. This is what you hold in your hands. The source of truth, inerrant, Don't be taking anybody else's opinion on it. Open it up. Read it. We believe that God's word has been inspired and inerrant in original manuscripts. Unchanging in matters when it comes to Christianity's faith and practice. It's true. It's reliable. It helps us with every step of the way. That is God's word. The Bible's been banned. The Bible has been burned. The Bible is beloved. People have handled it in so many different ways. More widely read and frequently attacked than any other book in history. 
Intellectuals have attempted to discredit. Dictators have attempted to outlaw it and execute those who read it. Yet soldiers will carry it with them into battle, knowing the comfort that it brings them and the power that it has. Pieces of it have been uh, smuggled into solitary confinement to those that are about ready to be put to death. It transforms the life of those who have been enslaved. Yearly, the Bible outsells every best-selling book. Everyone. Millions of copies are uh, published yearly, translated into over 1,800 languages. This is God's word. You want to know God? You want to love God? Dig into the Bible. Immerse yourself in there. You're like, I don't know where to begin. Who is our faith based on as Christians? Jesus Christ, right? Go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They're the stories of Jesus Christ. You want to know who it is you're following? Read about him. Grow in that. I shared this with the youth group um, about a month ago. I've shared it with a lot of other groups that I'm going to because I'm firmly believing in this message that it needs to be shared. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I want to briefly uh, just cover some things in this story. A story that's well known, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It says, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So Jesus has not eaten any food for 40 days. He's in the wilderness. He's tired. He's alone. He's hungry. He's not in a church. He's not in a synagogue. He's not in a temple. He's not with his disciples. You know when temptation hits me the most? When I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm alone. That's called a wilderness life. I'm not tempted at all when I'm in here. I'm not tempted when I'm, when I'm with a bunch of believers or I'm in God's word or, or when I'm around those who are godly people and they're encouraging me. My temptation comes at me when I'm alone, like Jesus when he's in the wilderness. That's the first thing I observe about this. And it says, during that time, the devil came and said, if you are the son of God, if is a big word. The devil uses it a couple times in this, in this conversation with Jesus. You know why? Because he knows if we can attack our brain, our mind, which is the battlefield, which we talked about before, doubt, right? If he can get you doubting about who you are in Christ, you'll be easily defeated. Jesus, if you are the son of God, and Jesus could have very well said, I am the son of God. He didn't. He just let the devil go on. If you're the son of God, why don't you take these stones, turn them into bread? Jesus could have said, turn them into bread. I'll turn it into Panera bread. Boom. Okay. But he didn't. I mean, I would have. Okay. But he didn't. What did Jesus do? Go on to read. It says, Jesus looked at the devil and he said, but Jesus told him, the scriptures say, it is written. Man does not live on bread alone. Jesus took scripture and threw it back in Satan's face. Satan's like, all right, all right, let's go to another place. They go to another place. The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem. Highest point in the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, uh-oh, look out, the devil knows scripture. He will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt you, your foot on a stone. Ooh, good try. The devil does know scripture, but he took this out of context and twisted it. He loved to do that we got to be careful not to take Scripture out of context and twist it when we use it. 
Jesus replied, the scriptures also say, so once again, Jesus says, it is written, comes back, um, right? So then the devil took him to a third spot, again, tempted him. And again, Jesus said, it is written. Every time Satan came at Jesus, he pulled out God's word and put it back in Jesus. Why is that? Because Paul said in Ephesians chapter six, that we, what? Should put on the full armor of God. So we can stand the devil's attacks. Why? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the spiritual forces of this world. We have a spiritual battle that goes on all the time. How do you fight it? Spiritually. So you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the helmet of salvation. You take the shield of faith and you pull out the sword of the spirit, which, by the way, is the only offensive weapon we have. Everything else is defensive, right? But the word of God is our spiritual offensive attack. Man, you know what I love about competition? I love offense and defense. I love them both. But you know what? You can't win unless you score. Offense matters. Church, pick up your sword of the Spirit. Pull it out. Use it. Read it. Apply it. That's how we fight temptation with God's Word. God's Word gives us life. It inspires us. I've shared this with you before. Genesis 2-7. God took the dust of the earth, formed Adam. And then he breathed in life into Adam and created mankind. That's how we all started. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, profitable for correction and discipline. God's word is, is, is new life into us. And a lot of us are spiritually suffocating because we're never opening up God's word for it to breathe. All scripture is what? God breathed. All scripture. So when you open it up, some mornings when maybe you're reading, you're like, oh, that was so good. You know why? You just got the breath of life blown into you. And you got a good, good feeling, right? That's God. When you're on the airplanes, for those of you that fly, and the stewardess is up front, and she's like, two exits there and two exits. You know, she's doing all this kind of stuff. And then she says, if the cabin pressure changes, the oxygen mask will drop. And you got 97-year-old Nana over here and 3-year-old little Billy over here. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Put them on them, right? No. What does she say? Put them on yourself first. So selfish, right? Put them on yourself first. Why? So that you can breathe and be awake and coherent to be able to help them. If I'm out, if I'm trying to help somebody else and I pass out, I can't help them. So, boom. Good, I can breathe. Now I'm going to help you out, Nana. I'm going to help you out, little Billy. We're all good now, right? You and I should not dare take God's word and say, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. Until what? Until you first get in here. Once I'm breathing in, now I'm ready to help you. But too many of us put this aside and we try to tell everybody how to live their lives. This has got to come first. Let God breathe into you. Set up a time. Get a place. Get a plan. You can't love God until you know God. And you can't know God until you experience God. You can't experience God until you get into his word and his word gets into you. I want to encourage you to do this. Again, I've got the Bible app. Okay? I use it. Okay? But here's the thing. If I'm on my, I'm on the, here on my Bible app, okay, and I'm doing this, oh, breaking news. Oh, awesome. Okay, I was going to read something, but now I wonder what that breaking news is. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm back to the Bible app. Okay. Boom. Um, okay. Um, reading through the book of John. Oh, notification. Yeah, I'll check that one out. Okay. Go back to that. Okay. Boom. All right. Back to John. Okay. Was it John? Wait. John. Oh, yeah. John. Okay. John. Oh, hey. I wonder how John's doing Facebook. Boom. Okay. Okay. Back, no, back to John. Okay. Okay. Okay, see how distracting that can be? Okay, now check this out. Watch this. Swipe. That was my swipe right there, okay? okay. 
Okay. Now I'm there. Now let me tell you something. Let me ask you this. When I'm looking at this right here, do y'all know what I'm looking at right now? You don't know what I'm looking at, do you? I could be looking at anything. Y'all know what I'm looking at now? God's word is pretty clear, right? I, I, I understand technology. I'm good with it, okay? And Bible apps are awesome. Love it, okay? But here's the thing. Distraction, much less right here. Plus, now you know where I'm at. And I'm not doing this for show, okay? Never do this for show, please. Never do this for show. But as you are in this, somebody out there who might see you doing this might have a question. But now that they see you are reading Scripture, they might come to you and seek some help. But if you're on here, they probably won't. I don't know. They may or may not. I don't know. I encourage you. Use your Bible more often. Use your Bible more often. As we know him, we begin to love him. We, we love him. We're driven to obey him. And that's the final thing I want to challenge you with as we get to wrap this up. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13 says, says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him. Love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you for your good. Did you see what Moses did? In case you missed it, let me repeat it. I'll go back to a different book, though, Joshua. Because you're going to hear the same thing. Be very careful to obey all the commands and instructions that Moses gave to you. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all of his ways. Obey his commands. Hold firmly to him and serve him with your heart and soul. Joshua even said it. Hey, you need to make sure you're going to love God, but you can't love God unless you're walking in his ways and you're obeying his commands. They're, they're, they're put right together. Jesus had a group of men. They're called disciples, right? They were with him for three years. And they walked with him everywhere, and they listened to his teaching. But then what happened? Jesus got arrested, put on trial. His disciples ran. Some denied. Some betrayed. But they all hid. He was crucified. He was buried. rose again from the dead. And the disciples were all in one room, upset, frustrated. Jesus is gone. Then they find out he's alive. And then Jesus appears to them. And for the next 40 days, the next 40 days, Jesus meets with his disciples and hundreds of other people, showing himself to be alive and resurrected. And now these men are ready to go fight for Jesus and live for Jesus. Right? They're his disciples. He's alive. Let's go do something. What does Jesus say? I want you to wait. Oh, you just got a bunch of men fired up to go do something. You're going to tell them to wait? Yes. So they go back to Jerusalem and they wait. For another 10 days, this is at Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection. So he had 40 days of, of resurrection, and people see him together. And there are 10 days where they're waiting, and after 10 days, they're there, and God's Holy Spirit falls upon them. What would have happened had the disciples not obeyed Jesus and not waited? But because they obeyed, they became full of the Spirit, and they were able to change this world as we now see it is today. John 1, I'm sorry, 1 John 5, 1 to 5 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has become a child of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Verse 3, listen very carefully. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Church, we claim to be a church that loves God and love others. And to be the church. We cannot be the church, nor can we love others unless we first love God. I want to spend a couple weeks focusing in on God. Thanksgiving's coming. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for my relationship with a heavenly father. I want you to know more about him. I want you to love him. I want to love him more. But we love God by what? First surrendering our lives to him. Then immersing ourselves in his word and then obeying those commands. That's how we love God. I wish that would have been clearly explained to me in eighth grade. You know what the next few years of my life would have been like had I known that? Not too late for any of us. Surrender your life to him. Immerse yourself in God's word. Obey his commands. That's how you're going to love God more. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As the worship team's coming forward, this is very carefully. I once read that people want to love God the way they love a cow. Okay? Sounds a little weird, so hang with me here on this one, okay? Let me say it again. People want to love God in the same way they love a cow. And here's here's the explanation. See, you only love that cow for its milk and for its cheese or for your own profit. Think about it. So I grew up on a farm. We had, we, had, we had pigs and we had cattle on our farm, okay? And every now and then we would butcher one of those pigs. We'd butcher, butcher one of those steers. And um, here's the thing. I knew what we got out of it. Hey, my 4-H pig, okay? Give me a blue ribbon. Give me a higher selling price. I got a little bit more profit and I got bacon, okay? Just saying, Okay? The steer, butcher, we got our meat, we got our steaks, got our burgers, got everything out of that. Okay? You know why I love my forage pig? There is a phrase, bringing home the bacon, okay? And that was true, okay? Didn't love it for what it was. I loved it for what it was going to give me. And sometimes that's the way we love God. We love God in hopes that he's going to change us and make us so much better on the outside and on the end. That's true that he does transform your life, but that's the wrong reason to love God merely for our own advantage. It isn't like God's your own flashlight. When you can't find something in your life, you pick them up and turn them on and look for it. And once you find what you're looking for, you put that flashlight back in the closet. That's the wrong way to play with God. It's not why we love God. We love God because he is God. Because he's full of grace and mercy, full of peace and love. That's why we love God. And I want that love to grow, don't you? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to know you more. We want to love you. And I know sometimes, God, some of us in this room right now struggle with the thought of love God? How do I do that? How do I, how do I sing these songs to God and like I love him? You know? It's just weird. There's others in this room that that get it. It's like, I I get it. I do love them. We're all at different stages in this room. There might be somebody in this room right now that's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Separated from a holy God, our sins have done that to us. It's time to confess those sins, to seek forgiveness. To surrender our way of living, think that I can get this done, I can do it on my own, because we can't do it on our own. 
So God, we surrender to you. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for trying to do it on our own. We surrender. We throw our hands up in the air just like they did when they fought in wars. They would wave a a white flag or put their arms up and say, I surrender. God, it's time we surrender and say, I surrender all. Surrender all. Forgive me. God, maybe there's some of us in this room where we have surrendered all. We we are living for you. We, we've placed our faith in you. But we, we still quite haven't figured out how to really love you. So God, help us to immerse ourselves in your word. Help us to be uh, accountable to others in this room and maybe outside this, this, this room in what we're reading. God, as we read, get to know you. Help us to love you even more. We want to experience you in our lives. We need to obey your commands too, God. So give us the strength and the wisdom to do that. It's one thing to say we love you, but to not put it into action would be hypocrisy. God, help us to live out what we say and what we believe. Help us obey your commands. They're not burdensome. Not at all. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we have declared we want to be a church that loves you and loves others, and we want to be the church. But God, let us begin with loving you. Thank you, God. Every time I walk into this building and I see people from this church, the smiles on their faces, I'm so encouraged, so inspired by their faith. But God, I want more. One more. More love. More of your love. And I want me to love you help us all to do that Lord Lord we love you we really do we want to sing to you now Lord bless this song Lord in the name of Jesus Christ we pray Amen